We are back. The summer has flown by, but it has felt like forever since we've had college football grace our TV screens. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 1 of From the Basement Bar Podcast, where we cover college football, anything and everything college football happening weekly, daily. You know, we'll be on it. Uh, But every week, come back, listen to our podcast where we break down you know, the games that happen, the games moving forward, the Heisman, the race, everything, the storylines, everything that's great about college football, we will discuss moving forward. We are in season two here tonight. I cannot wait to get things started. College football, it's just the best time of the year. You can just feel the energy in the air. Air is turning a little bit. It's getting it's about to get a little bit crisper. The leaves will eventually change soon. Football is officially back. Uh, and and also the lasting memory of those ugly bulldogs finally breaking out of purgatory and hoisting the natty title is the last thing that was left in our minds when Kirby, you know, right in the face of his old boy Nick Saban, he just he just hoisted that trophy. He beat them down. You know, it's hard it's hard to believe Saban and the Tide will be playing with a chip on their shoulder after that run of success that they've had over. You know, what feels like a, I guess a decade and a half now. But that punch in the mouth to end the year will not sit well in Tuscaloosa. We know that. We absolutely know that. Now, the offseason, you know, already got off to a wild ride with the news breaking of the realignment in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Like thieves in the night, Southern California packed up their bags and headed north. None of it really makes sense to me. Like, come on, come on, USC traveling to basically the farthest part you could possibly travel in this country from where they are situated to play Rutgers in 25 degree weather. It's fucking stupid. It just really is. And UCLA and Chip Kelly skiing into Northwestern. No, thank you. Now, Lincoln Riley, he has to battle Ohio State for the Big Ten crown yearly. That's a whole lot different than strapping it up with the Oregons and the Stanfords of the weak West Coast world. If I was him, I would want to go back to Oklahoma. You know, you could have ran that Pac-12 conference. He could have dominated the Pac-12. Lincoln Riley's offense would have taken over the Pac-12. It wouldn't even be a question. And now he's going to go and get his ass kicked by Ohio State yearly. He might get a win here or two, just like Harbaugh finally figured out and, you know, had his moment. But that's not going to last. And neither will Lincoln Riley beating Ohio State. It's just, it's not how it works in the Big Ten. Now, now I've been for most of all the shakeups, you know, in college football over the years, but this one it just doesn't sit well with me. I'm a fan of having somewhat of a geographic alignment within conferences. It's very easy to build that true fan rivalry. You know, when you're in that close proximity, you run into other teams' fans. Maybe at the grocery store, you see the stupid, you know, their logo on the shirts that you're when you're out shopping, doing anything. You know, you go to a local high school game. You, you, you're see, you're around those other schools' fans. And that's how you build that hate, that animosity, that I want to go and kill that team. That's how rivalries are built. When you're not even close at all, or at least in the same time zone. They're in different time zone now. These rivalries just aren't. They're going to be media-driven, and they're going to be fake. And that's not good. That's not good for college football. Fans need to feel it. Fans need to really be involved in that rivalry, and being so far, being multiple time zones away, it just doesn't work that way. And, and you know, sure, fans in California, all 2,500 of them, they'll be easy to hate. 
Big Ten, it would be easy for Big Ten fans to hate them because it's California, a shitty state that breeds shitty fans. That's easy to hate. Now, when these Trojans and these Bruins players can't feel their fingers in the football fields like a fucking cinder block, they will be begging for the warmth of the West. And while we're on the topic of the frigid cold of Big Ten country, we might as well talk about how frostbite has taken over and consumed Lincoln, Nebraska. Scott Frost, is he flat out will not last the season. It's just a given. It's not a prediction. It's not. It's just what will happen this year. Scott Frost will not last the season as Nebraska's head football coach. I can't think of a coach who falters so often in close games like this guy. If he wasn't the former golden child in Nebraska, this tumultuous relationship would have been over long ago. Child support, alimony payments would have been in full swing and being paid out. But for some reason, the school who just couldn't stomach Bo Pelini winning nine-plus games every year, year in and year out, has decided to give the underprepared, the overhyped, won a few games at UCF, Swindler, another ride in the bedroom. At what point do they feel buyer's remorse? At what point do they cut ties finally and stop this embarrassment of a once proud football program? Frost just can't get out of his own way. He brings in Whipple as the coach of the offense in a much coaching a much different style of offense from him, and he's and he's hoping to catch that lightning the Whipple and the Pickett combo had last season, you know. But he throws wrenches into his own success, into his own plans. That was a smart move, in my opinion. Let him take over play calling. Let him run the offensive show. Focus on the overall team management of what a head coach can do. Go recruit. Go do what you know. Build build that team camaraderie. But, you know, he can't get out of his own way, like I said. And he threw a wrench in the Cornhuskers' momentum this past weekend with an unnecessary onside kick. Frost just couldn't resist looking stupid. When the scoreboard is tight and the clock is winding down, Scott Frost is the last coach in the country you want making any decisions. But it wasn't all just Frost sucking at his job like he does. Northwestern played a very solid game. Ryan Holinsky just might have a breakout season at quarterback. The experience gained down, you know, in the SEC could cause some waves and, and you know, have Pat Fitzgerald orchestrating another dark horse Wildcats team into the Big Ten fray. Bryce Gallagher, Coco, Jeremiah Lewis, and Xander Mueller, they can get things done on the defensive ball. They flat out can play defense. When you have strong QB play, good running attack to wear out opposing defense defenses, and a stout D, that's a recipe for a bounce-back season for Northwestern. Oh, and let me get to uh, my drink of choice that we do from the basement bar now that we're behind the bar again. We broke out the Dark Horse Pinot Grigio wine. Um, you know, the U.S. Open string of unexpected winners has me believing the college season might just be the same. Now, so I chose this type of wine for a reason. I want and need unexpected chaos this season. So cheers. Why don't we hit some early predictions? Early season predictions now. Um, we'll do my conference winners. And then we'll take a look at the uh, you know the current Heisman hopefuls entering the season. 
And let me be clear, no one, and I mean no one, knows dick at this point about college football, you know, what's going to happen in the college football season. All the, you know, experts are throwing as many darts as possible on the board, hoping one hits the bullseye, just like the rest of us. But with that being said, of course, my predictions will be the correct ones. So let's start with the lowly Pac-12, who has been allergic to the college football playoffs. However... The conference for now does have in its possession the greatest quarterback whisper of this generation in Lincoln Riley. It will be a short marriage, but Riley will suck the tit dry and squeak past Utah for that Pac-12 title. The Utes return a ton of experience and are coming off one of the best seasons in program history. But Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, and the rest of the offensive weapons at the Riley disposal will easily put up 40 points a game. Easily 40 points a game. I don't think the Trojans will be able to stop anyone defensively, but in the Pac-12, they will outscore people and they will get it done. They just won't be able to outscore and beat when it beat the teams when it matters most in the CFP, just like Lincoln Riley has in the past. The playoff committee, they finally welcome back the Pac-12. Moving on to another conference being left behind, the Big 12. Um, this is very much a toss-up season. Can Brett Venable, Venables translate to a to being a successful head ball coach? And can Dylan Gabriel make it behind center in a Power 5 conference? Venables I have faith in, but I think it will take time to build his culture. Um, now over, JT, over in West Virginia, JT Daniels, he will put up godly numbers. But that team just doesn't have the full set of tools hanging in the tool shed. Texas, I love Bijan Robinson, and there will be more on my boy Bijan later. Also, Quinn Ewers is an intriguing player, but Sarkeesian, he's looking towards when Arch Manning arrives and, and, and when Manning somehow shines light down on the Longhorns and fills all the sad, sad hearts of the Longhorn faithful. I, I, but I just don't see it from Texas this year. Horns down, continues. That brings me to the Baylor Bears and that beautiful mind of head coach Dave Aranda. The guy just knows how to coach football. And on most Saturdays, the man standing on the opposite sideline is a lesser man. I'm also all in on sophomore quarterback Blake Shapin. That Oklahoma State game in the Big 12 Championship was simply next level, next level quarterback play. With that late season experience that was gained, this kid will avoid any type of sophomore slump and he will hit the ground running. A two-loss Baylor team gets it done in the Big 12. Next up, we have the ACC, the conference that for so long was dominated by Clemson, has an opening for another team to grab the, the crown once again. Uh, that, it's just that Dabo, Sweeney, and Tigers dominance it just seems to have lost its steam. It doesn't feel the way it used to feel. The unstoppable force that was just is not that scary anymore. You know, once a program loses that psychological edge where opposing teams come into that pregame pissing down their legs before they even step on the field, winning becomes a little bit tougher, and that's what Clemson's going to find out. And that's what they, they found out last year. You know, I'd love to put Wake Forest up here. But with the uncertainty at quarterback uh, with Sam Hartman, that's just too risky. If Hartman plays at full ability, it's nine plus wins. That that's a nine plus team win team. But without it, we could see a four win team. 
that's just too big of a swing for my liking. Miami, they're the trendy pick here with Mario Cristobal taking up residence in South Beach. And again, that just feels too soon. Um, a team I do like here, uh, I, I do like the Pitt, Pan Pitt, Pitt Panthers. However, losing their offensive coordinator, their Heisman Hoefel quarterback, and a top and their top wideout is a lot to overcome in one offseason. So clearly, I'm obviously going with the Florida State. Just kidding. Yeah, fucking right. Florida State will be lucky to be bowl eligible once again. The most respect they deserve in this conversation is to say they are not in it. I hate it. Um, but I'm you know, even with the aura being lesser, I gotta go with the Clemson Tigers to figure it out and claim that title. To the north. We head into the Big Ten. I'm sorry, but this will be a quick conversation. There's no reason to beat around the bush and make it seem like any other team other than Ohio State can win this conference. I'd be wasting my breath and the ears of my 15 or so listeners. But the playmakers across the board are just absurd. This team has legitimately two guys who could be headed to the Heisman Trophy ceremony this year. The only other team I will mention here, and I don't mean they actually have a realistic shot, but they will have a nice season, and Minnesota will win the West. Ibrahim, back carrying the rock, is a legitimate fear in the Big Ten. Finally, we get to the big boys of college football, the mighty SEC. Talk about an aura that has not faded and is still spreading like COVID in March 2020. The conference of champions, high draft picks, and envy of all recruits' eyes. Who wins the SEC in 2022? What a ride it could be. But really, will it be all that different? Probably not. We have Georgia and Alabama currently positioned above the rest. Texas A&M, they had a chance. Yes, I said had because that door has literally already been slammed shut before the season starts. And that happened the moment Jimbo Fisher thought he gained enough confidence to publicly call out Saban for something everyone with a thinking brain knows. It's over for the Aggies. The Tide will beat them by 20 plus. Other than that, Arkansas will be good, but not great. And, you know, Brian Kelly will still be working to pretend he fits in in the South. And just like that. We're left with Bama in the West. Now over in the East, Josh Heupel, he will have Tennessee and Rocky Top back to relevance. That offense will be dynamic and fun, but it's still Tennessee, and they still routinely lose to their rivals. Florida, they will be much better than expected with Billy Napier running a much more organized and disciplined program from his predecessor, Dan Mullen. Um... And when you have the best athlete in the conference, Anthony Richardson, you will win games you're not supposed to. Florida wins nine, but Georgia wins the East and falls to the Crimson Tide in the SEC title game. And now we got to, we are moving on to the early Heisman hopeful list. This will be the ever-evolving list that potentially could have zero players on it now, as it will at the end of this season. Guys we don't know yet, they mature over the offseason, have breakout years, come out of nowhere. Um, but from what we do know right now, in this moment, these are the current front runners. 
And clearly, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud lead the bell of the ball position at quarterback. Next, I have my guy from Texas, who I mentioned earlier, Bijan Robinson, who was actually my pick last season. He'll be back in the mix. Now, he does need his team to play at a high level around him to stay in consideration. That was his problem last year. Stroud's favorite target, Jackson Smith-Najigba, has to be mentioned here. He was the best receiver on the team last year. A team full of multiple first-round pick receivers. Um, And let's not forget about the defensive side of the ball. We cannot forget about the defensive side of the ball. Alabama's Will Anderson Jr. will again dominate opposing offenses. He was better. He was the better player than Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson last year who got the ultimate Heisman invite. Bullshit. It was it was stupid. It was a, That was a media-driven thing. But when you broke it down, when you looked at what was going on on the field and you even looked at the stats, Will Anderson Jr. was the much better player, much more dominant player. Um, and he will prove that again this season. So there you have it. The first episode of season two is in the books. And like we did in season one, we will end with something that I hate that just pisses me off. That is not football related because there are plenty of that to go around. This one, you know, it happened to me today. You know when you're you're in a little bit of a maybe rushed mood, you're just moving a bit too quick. Your mind is racing about what you need or what you might need to do and you just maybe, you know, you pull the cabinet door a bit too hard. Or don't duck low enough when getting into your car and you bump your head just ever so hard enough for it to fucking let you know it's there. Your hat might get all readjusted in the process. At that point, you go from zero to I want to fucking murder everyone level. That moment, that's what I hate. And that's what happened to me today. It's sticking with me right now. You know, I did calm down. I've calmed down. Dark Horse Vodka or wine has helped a little bit on that. Um, But you know what? Actually, you know what is making me feel a little bit better besides the wine? And I almost forgot to mention here. How could I forget this? I'm heading down to sunny Freedom, Florida, leaving tomorrow morning. The land of Ron DeSantis, the population of the immune to COVID to sit with 90,000 in the swamp at night to check out Billy Napier's opening ceremony and see a Utah team, a top 10 West Coast team, travel to the southern part of America to see if they can get out alive in the land of the SEC. Should be a fun time. I will bring the stories next week. So see you next time on From the Basement Bar Podcast.